Some of my peoples one time. What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen? You are back with us. You are listening to Across the Intersection podcast. This is AJ. I'm in here with Eve and Avery. Hey, what up, y'all? Hey. And we got a special guest with us this week. The world-renowned. Yes, <laughs> yes. Lyricist extraordinaire. Yeah, lyricist extraordinaire. As, as always, please listen to our illustrious podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. And you can follow us on social media. We are at Across This on Twitter, uh, Across the Intersection on Facebook, and Instagram, Across This One. I am at Divinimus, D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S. Yep, it's E to the V to the E over on Twitter. Yeah, go check out Across Life. No <laughs> way, hold up. Across This, Across Life, that's a band. Excuse me. I, I don't even think they're around anymore. Across This. I told Twitter you, I'm, I'm going to start at Avery. Avery's going to be a little secretive about yeah. that Twitter that you already told everybody about during the first 12 nah, episodes. You, well, you, I mean, for me, it's, it's more so about, um, <clears throat> you know, less about me, more about what's, what's going yeah, on. It's about the collective. Cool. That's, yeah, true. That's true. He's a man of the people. There it is. So this week, guys, we, we do have a special guest. As we you know, as we alluded to previously, he is the world-renowned, illustrious, nah, um, great friend and uh, awesome brother in the faith and uh, trailblazer. Uh, Brady Goodwin, aka the Fanatic. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, brother? What's good? What's good? Good to be here with y'all. Thank you, thank you for joining us. So, please let the people know. For those of them who who wasn't blessed to, you know, be to exist in in our sphere in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, who hmm. is who is Brady Goodwin? Hmm. Um. So I said. Maybe I'm the last of a dying breed, like a dying steed running his last lap with blinding speed. Or maybe I'm stocked from a new seed, crops from a new breed growing in the soil of earth. Uh, so I'm part of a collective uh, that God put together back in the 1990s, mid-1990s, called the Cross Movement. Uh, a brother uh, by the name of Enoch uh, had a vision one day. He said, I mean, I, I see this. This umbrella team, this umbrella ministry, uh, and it's got rappers and poets and dancers and playwrights and this and that and teachers all under the same umbrella. And uh, it's called the Cross Movement. It's a, a movement of people heading toward or forwarding the message of the cross. And uh, that was the vision back in like 91, 92, and 94. That thing began to take shape as we met other brothers who were in the urban arena uh, and in Christ and didn't find themselves fitting in uh, in the church because of their connection to hip-hop, but didn't find themselves fitting in in hip-hop because of their connection to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so uh, these brothers kind of banded together, found strength in numbers, and began to represent Jesus Christ, uh, planting flags in the ground in the urban arena with the Lord's name on it boldly in hip-hop where that was not the thing to do back in the mid-90s. It was very, uh, you know, you still had the leftover, uh, leftover debris from the era of uh, Afrocentrism in hip-hop, right. and you had the five percenters and, uh, you know, groups like Wu-Tang and Nas and Black Thought, uh, you know, referencing lines about, 
resurrecting Jesus to crucify him again. And mm. if you turn the other cheek, I'll break your effing jaw. And, mm. you know, coming at Jesus and coming at Christians. And so uh, cross movement kind of stood as a, I don't know, a line of last offense or first offense or something uh, that Christians were not going to take uh, that kind of, of talk lying down, not just in the church, but not even in hip-hop. So um, that was the ministry, that was the, the group, uh, it was a non-profit uh, organization, it was a rap group, it was a record label, and uh, by the grace of God, uh, it became the umbrella umbrella to launch uh, such artists as uh, the Cross Women Group, uh, the Soloist Ambassador, myself, Fanatic, The Truth, uh, Flame, Lecrae, um, all kinds of, of, of artists, you know, launched from that pad back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So that was Cross Movement. Uh, whatever the legacy of Cross Movement is, heaven will tell. And uh, just excited to have been a part of that era yeah. and uh, what God is doing uh, now. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Wow. That's dope. I, a quick, quick story for me. Back in 1997, that's when I became a believer. And I remember I was in college, and so, you know, <laughs> I know, right? And so back then, you know, I don't even know what it is now. I feel like I'm an old man sometimes. But it's like back then, you know, we didn't have no idea what Christian rap was. So you come into the faith, and you just like, all right, well, I guess I got to be done with hip-hop. You just assume you got to be done with it. <laughs> and I remember this cat. He wasn't even into Christian rap. He just knew I was an MC because I was rapping before. I'd be battling cats all over campus and things like that, doing shows around the campus. And he brought me a cassette tape. <laughs> he brought a cassette tape of Heaven's Mentality. And he was like, yo, I think you would dig this, man. It's, it's a Christian rap joint. I was like, Christian rap? What is that? And he brought me a little cassette tape. And I remember only because... Your joint, Who's the Man? The original Who's the Man? That's the joint that rocked me and made me realize, all right, man, I, this this might be something viable to hold on to, you know, to hold on to. And that little dun, 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 dun. When that joint came on, I was like, oh, my goodness. It's called a life soundtrack, you know? That, I mean, yeah. that's the reality. I don't know how many artists truly realize that, you know, the people that they impact, there there are times in their lives that, that that mm. songs like that and even lyrics are it's just mm. stamped on and so every time you mm. hear it you go all the way back straight yeah. straight back wow. to that time so it's amazing yeah. so it was yeah. a good time Amen. it was a good time but we're Amen. not going to get too esoteric and, and lose all 10,000 listeners they like Christian <laughs> rap <laughs> so man I, I wanted to rap to you because now you are a famed author you are hey. a famed author putting out book after book after book and um, I own several of them um, and the the last book that you wrote, Navigating the N Word, um, it's a really good book. Like I said, I'm 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 just about done with it, and you know I took away a few things from it. You know, one I really appreciate your his, historical approach to looking at the origins of the word and coming at it from that point as opposed to just coming at it contemporarily, but really going back and and looking at some things. Um, the first thing I can say is I, I appreciate that a book like this is being written by a believer because um, yeah. I yeah, think I it, it would have had a particular slant to it had it not been written by a believer. Um, mm. And so talk to us a little bit about your thoughts when you wrote the book and, you know, why you thought it was, you know, pertinent for the the 
Christian community or people of the faith to really have a better understanding of the usage of this word and how it can still impact people, whether positively or negatively today? Ah, well, yeah, interestingly, I really didn't write it for the Christian community. Mm. Um, I wrote it because in 2009, 8-9, I began to uh, teach in the public schools in Philadelphia, and very quickly I was going in teaching character education, and it very quickly became apparent to me that my background in hip-hop culture, my background studying theology and philosophy and psychology, that there was sort of an intersectionality there. Uh, And all those different fields of study sort of came together in my classroom. And I knew that from that point forward, what I wanted to do was I wanted to, um, I wanted to teach culturally relevant character education. Mm. And there was no curriculum out there. So I said, I need to write the curriculum. And I was having such success, I said, well, man, what do other people need to know if they're going to go into the classroom and start doing what I'm doing? So I wrote the first book, The Death of Hip-Hop, Marriage, and Morals, to sort of uh, you know, fuel other people so that they would be able to do what I was doing in the classroom. But as it relates to the N-word, um, there was a section of the class I was teaching where I realized, because I was an avid user of the N-word before I started teaching in the schools, even as a Christian and as a Christian hip hopper, uh-huh. um, there are there are some <laughs> there's some old uh, audio tapes of uh, if you remember the old cross movement albums we used to have interludes yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you know in between the songs you have these little you know somebody would either be breaking down something or it might sound like somebody's like doing a little sermonette or something or encouraging or admonishing whatever exhorting the listener but those were pulled from hours of conversations that we would be having with each other. We would have a little recording machine. We'd go around the city, and we'd go to malls, and we just, you know, go over. We'd run up and have conversations with just general public and uh, conversations with each other. And if you look, listen to those audios, you can't because they're all under wraps. We're not letting nobody hear them, but <laughs> I go back and I listen to them, and you hear us telling jokes and telling stories about each other on these, in these recordings. In those recordings, it's N-word this, and it's N-word that. And I go back and I listen, and I'm like, yo, we used to let it fly. Um, like, publicly, we never really would, but that's just how we talk. And you grow up in an African-American community, and that's just something that we say. Um, but it wasn't until I started teaching at the high school that I began to, to pay attention to how the word was really being used amongst young people. And... You know, I used to buy into the idea that, oh, no, we, we confiscated the words from whites. They can't use it no more. Only blacks can. And when we say it, it don't mean this. It only mean that. But I'm like, man, when I listen to these kids, it sounds like like you can go back, you know, 200 years and put a whip in their hand, and they're talking to each other the same way a slave master would talk to his slaves. So it's not a term of endearment the way they're using it. It definitely is not a term of endearment. But then when I thought, I said, wait a minute, this is just a reflection of the music. And I went back to the music with new ears because I would hear it in the music and it, it wouldn't even phase me. But I went back to the music and I said, yo, like we've been programmed and are programming ourselves to accept a certain kind of treatment. And it just so happens that the use of this word 
it has historically, and I think presently, it's being used to okay a certain kind of treatment. I would never treat a human being this way. But because you're a this, this treatment fits you. So I can do this to you because you're, and you know, I think uh, chapter one of the book, I talk about the power of naming. Yeah. And I say it's interesting. Whenever somebody wants to do something cruel to another person, they always name that person. You be, you this, you that. You have to call the, the person something that degrades them because instinctively you know this is a human being that I should not be doing this to. But if I can rename you, then I can I can lessen the guilt that I feel for treating you this way. Mm-hmm. And that's how the N-word has been used historically. And so the point that I often try to make is we say, oh, no, that's my N. We can't say the word on this show, can we? <laughs> no, you, you straight, man. <laughs> or somebody say, yo, that's my nigga. And they mean it in that term of endearment sense. But what you don't realize is there's something positive going on in that phrase. We all say that. It's positive when I say, that's my nigga. But the positive thing is not the nigga. The positive thing is the my. Hmm. Like, even though you're a nigga, I'm willing to claim you. That's the positive thing. Wow. I got love for you despite Hmm. you being what you are. Hmm. So even in the positive, it's negative. Hmm. You're still this, but I, I, I'ma love you. Hmm. I'ma claim you. I'ma own you. I'm, and then when you think about it, like how different is that from how a slave master used the, the word? A black person on the auction block was worthless. Yeah. Until a white person came along and said, "Her, her right there. That's my nigga. That's my nigga. Wow. Dang. That's my nigga." So you know something that that you did in in the book that I just wanted to, you know, I, I want to ask you why, but like for me, it was a positive. It was definitely beneficial was when you went through a lot of um, hip hop mm-hmm. and you talked about the change from the eighties to the nineties mm-hmm. when, when the yeah. N word, you know, when, when nobody was using it in the, in hip hop and mm-hmm. that change occurred. And I'm gonna let you speak to the change. But one thing that you did, which, for me, it was like, yo, you're right. Let me go back and listen. Was you tallied up the number of times that cats used it in their albums, mm-hmm. and some of the numbers were staggering. I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. But because it was yeah. so prevalent, we didn't really notice it. So, why don't you, you know, speak a little bit to the usage of the word in in terms of hip hop, which has been like the voice for our generation. You know, we're yeah. we're, we're Gen X. And that's been the voice, particularly in the urban context, that's been the, the voice of our generation. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is something I haven't put in the book because uh, I've, I've still been researching and, and maybe in, in you know a year or two, the next edition, I might put this in. But the first recorded use of the word in a, in a rap song is actually in a battle rap that few people have ever heard. And a lot of people attribute this to being the first battle rap when Cool Mo D dissed Busy B. Mm. And it, it was recorded, but it wasn't, they weren't selling rap music back then. The only time you heard it was, you know, at the show, and maybe you got the tape from the corner store, but the rappers weren't selling you. But the first, they say the first real battle rap was when Cool Mo D dissed Busy B. And in that song, he didn't even call Busy B a nigga. He just said, um, you biting and you still in niggas' names. Like, he's talking about where Busy B got his rap name from. 
but it wasn't a real rap song. It was just something that Kumo D did at a show to call out Dizzy B. And then you don't really hear the word much at all. You may hear it in like a, you know, somebody, a, a MC, um, peace, sucker, nigga, whoever you are. You know, that's a, a famous um, hip-hop quotable, but it's not really from a song. It's something that MC was saying in between the set or something like that. So you go 15 years, really, aside from um, the first quote-unquote gangster rapper, Schooly D. He used it in 85. But really, you go 15 years from 1973 all the way to 1988 with nobody using the N-word except for Schooly D, who was a gangster rapper in 85. And then three years later, the group that popularizes gangster rap, N.W.A., in 88. So why is it that only the gangster rappers 85 and 88 are the only ones who in their recorded music feel like yeah this word fits with what I'm doing but everyone else felt like no it doesn't fit with what I'm doing and so I just I just traced that 15 years of nigger free hip hop <laughs> until the gangster rap comes on the scene and all of a sudden the word works perfectly with what they're doing we've got to pay attention to that that means something and um, so I, I just I, I, I want people to think about what it means and I, I chronicle how the East Coast tried to resist including the word. And I actually give credit uh, to the 5%, 5% nation of gods and earth, you mm-hmm. know. Not that I agree with their, their theology or, quote-unquote, their science, but I think they were the reason that for a long time on the East Coast, people resisted the word nigger because it's hard to be a nigger and a god at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that I and, think is... Oh, yeah. go ahead, Brady. Nope, you got it. One thing I think is interesting is when that really sparked off the use of um, uh, of that word in hip hop, regardless of content, when we were coming of age, for example, the native tongues used it, you know? So even mm-hmm. when you have, you know, Tribe and De La Soul and other groups who I really, and a lot, all of, I'm sure all of us at this table really were into, they, you know, poor righteous teachers, I don't think, and I don't remember them using it. You know, but but for the most part, uh, regardless of whether you're talking gangster or positive or party music or whatever the content is, it is it seems like whatever you were talking about happened in 88 sparked off making it um, acceptable within hip hop to Mm -hmm. use it, regardless of whether you were, quote unquote, conscious or not. I just want to know if if you had any thoughts about that. Well, yeah. And you you mentioned tribe like Q-Tip actually chronicles for us. Q-Tip says, I forget the name of the song I talk about in the book. Tip actually says, like, uh, I think it's something like, um, I he- I'm hesitant to say it, or I-, I try not to say it, or like, I, I bite my tongue, or something. He says something in-, in-, in this song where I try not to say it, mm-hmm. but you grew up hearing it, and now every rapper's putting it in their song. So he actually has recorded for us the moment where Tribe, as a group, initiated themselves into using the word in their music, because it- he said, I try not to say it, but man... You grow up hearing it, and every rapper's using it now. And that was around, like, like 90 and 91, something mm-hmm. like that. Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah I, go ahead. I mean, I think that that's actually the song that you had quoted before, Suck a Nigga. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was well, yeah, he, he goes into, like, you know, like why you say it and all this. and mm-hmm. yeah, but, but essentially, he's, he's, he's making claim and, and redefining it and saying it in different contexts and Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not as eloquent as how you put it, Brady, um, with the my part. I never, never looked at it like that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I believe that is the song that you were talking about. 
Yeah, so I, 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 and you know, I talked to some some of my students about it. I said, "Wait, so we can't say the word at all?" I'm like, "Well, you know, there's no word police. <laughs> you know, I can't tell you, you can't say it." My thing is, you know, if we only meant it in a positive way, like no other group who's ever taken something negative that was said about them mm-hmm. and then changed it into a positive, no other group has ever kept the negative side of it alive. The way that they were able to redeem it was, okay, we're going to take over this word, and now it's only going to mean something positive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think if we did that, if we could do that with the word, then perhaps it has a place. But the, the, fact that we, no, go ahead. the fact that we keep the negative aspect of it alive, that's why the subtitle of the book is How Keeping Quote-Unquote Niggas Alive is Killing Black Folk. Hmm. Um I'm not talking about keeping people who act ignorant alive. I'm talking about how keeping the word alive is killing us because we use it to green light certain behaviors because certain people who fit that title in a certain sense are worthy of certain treatment in our in our eyes historically in this country. Um, so yeah, that's that's my take, and I'm open for the discussion. But um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time researching how we're using this and how it's mm-hmm. impacting us. So. One thing that's that's really interesting that I find is I come I, I grew up in a family where it was unacceptable or at mm-hmm. least or at least whatever my parents experienced in the past, they decided to reverse whatever the situation was. It was, you know, in my household, it was unacceptable. And I had friends who fell on both sides where mm-hmm. their dads and moms said it wasn't acceptable. You don't come into this house using that word. Let's talk about the history of the word and other people whose dads and moms use the word. And so mm-hmm. it just there just seems to be so much diversity among African Americans from my experience about whether the word is acceptable or not. And maybe that just speaks to us being a diverse people. But in light of uh, the history that you found with the use of the word and the development of it, why do you think there's so much diversity in terms of its acceptability within families, how people raise their children, mm-hmm. whether they raise them to say it or not to? Do you think it's regional or yeah. socioeconomic? What do you think? Um, and see, this is where the, the Christian side of me kicks in. Um, I think it's sin, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I think there's something, like, we like power. Um, so I do this in the book. I compare the word to the ring in Lord of the Ring. Right. Like, this ring... Whoever is going to wear this ring is going to have the power. And everyone realizes that power is too destructive. It's too great for you. You put that ring on, and you're not really wearing the ring. The ring is wearing you. It's going to corrupt you. And so they decide, okay, then we need to destroy it. And everyone who volunteers to carry the ring to destroy it ends up at some point succumbing to its power. Mm -hmm. No, 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 I'm going to destroy the negative impact of it. Let me hold it. And the second they get it, it takes over. And I think as African-American folk, we feel like, now let us get that word. We're going to destroy the negative impact of it. Then we get it and realize, oh, shoot, this thing got some power. If I can wield this word and, and make someone else lesser than me by the way I wield this word, and so you got parents telling their kids, oh, nigga, shut up. You know, oh, little nigga do this. Oh, little nigga. The, the fact that this word, the very nature of it, 
puts you beneath me mm. if I wield it the right way. That's addictive. And so rather than destroy it, we end up like <laughs> the people in the movie, like, tempted to now keep this word alive for ourselves, not because we're going to do the positive thing with it that we said, but we, that, we got a taste of that power. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so, well, my, I'm wondering, how do you feel... Um, <clears throat> well, I guess I got a couple questions. One is, um, I asked this first one, how do you feel about about uh, <clears throat> the influence of of hip hop and how even and how basically it <clears throat> it perpetuates the use of this word uh, throughout other communities? So, for example. Um, <clears throat> For example, Kendrick, like, you know, Kendrick is considered like, you know, an oracle and a credit to the race, so to speak. Uh, and yet, at the same time, in a song, you know, I mean, All Right, which I love, um, like the N-word is used in the hook like five times, six, seven, eight times. He even goes on to Pimple Butterfly, which is on the same album, the song or, or the spoken word piece about niggas. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, and yet and still in the, mm -hmm. on the damn album, you know, uh, we double back and now is, you know, the, the N word all day again. Like, you know, and these, these songs are being sung by <clears throat> entire crowds of, uh, of mm -hmm. white people conveniently yeah. edited out on YouTube where you, you know, they don't hit the hook, but I'm wondering like, how do you, what do you, what do you, what do you do about that? I'm in situations where I have coworkers, you know, like I, I, I don't work with <clears throat> everybody that's black. I work with, you know, white folks and whatnot. And it'll be, I'll be outside and somebody, you know, it'd be like a, a white coworker will pull up and they got the top down. You know, I'm hearing the N word blasting and I'm wondering if they notice, they got to notice, you know, like mm. that I'm picking it up like the coast isn't clear how do you you know how do you how do you deal with that how do you how, how, I'm wondering what do you think about this how do, how do you navigate this yeah so that's, you know so we're talking about right how do you how do you navigate this n word um, it's interesting Kendrick with the with the negus concept um which is uh erroneous um, it's not erroneous that the word negus was used for royalty in Ethiopia, but Ethiopia is not on the coast of Africa where slaves were largely taken from. So the term doesn't even, you know, it's not a cognate of the word negus. Um, it's a cognate of the word uh, negro, Spanish for black, mm. which is why, you, you know, you find, uh, uh, you know, if you look at any kind of uh, linguistic study, it's easy to see, you know, with negus, it'd be very difficult to explain the introduction of the R. Um, you know, just linguistically, you, you couldn't get there. But you could see how Negro, uh, in, the, in the mouth of a Southern, uh, you know, Southerner in the United States, Negro, uh, is hard to pronounce, and it becomes Negra. And even that is, uh, you know, difficult for the Southern draw. So rather than put the R behind the G, vowel in front of the R and, you know, nigger is easier than nigra. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you go from ne negro to nigra to nigger 
uh, to nega, you know, it just gets easier and easier to say. You do that with language. Um, so anyhow, I say that to say, uh, I, I appreciate Kendrick trying to give the word a, a new meaning from an older word, um, but that's, that's not where it comes from. And then even he's not consistent, but what's interesting is even, even his musical mentor, you know, he's a, uh, a, a fan com- completely enamored with Tupac Shakur. But mm-hmm. Tupac did something very similar, you know, on on his album. I remember. He tried to redefine what it meant and made nigga an acronym for Never Ignorant Getting Goals Accomplished. Mm-hmm. But Tupac did the same thing that Kendrick did. He, he tried to give it a better definition, but then kept using it the old way. And so he shot himself in the foot mm-hmm. um, where he wasn't consistent and no one followed him because no one's going to follow an inconsistent a message like that. Um, so one on one hand, you have Kendrick and them trying to help us out, uh, but on the other hand, you have them still giving license for the word to be used um, in the negative way, and then like you said, not only giving license for it to be used in the negative way, but giving license for other people to put the word on their tongue, and it sort of becomes... It sort of becomes like a, a new millennium version of blackface. Um, it's socially unacceptable mm-hmm. for whites to put on black paint and and act in a foolish way to make blacks look bad. But now you have, you know, it's weird if you study, you know, old Hollywood and what blacks had to do to be on film. Like you had black actors even acting in blackface. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, you are now in control of your own image, and yet you still have to put on something that whites put on in order to make you look bad. Now, you're going to put it on. You're going to enlarge y- your lips with makeup. And you- you're going to point, like, why are you putting on the thing that they-, they put on to make your people look bad? So you got See. blacks and blackface, and that's sort of what, that, what, you know, what the word becomes in, in modern uh, hip hop is it's us putting on blackface and then whites being able to enjoy mm. us looking and acting a certain way and now they don't even have to do it they don't even have to you know they can sing along I see um, yeah it, it's weird well that's that's interesting you kind of came at it the opposite way that I was thinking um, I was thinking it like well Kendrick is creating these rhymes and I mean it could be any rapper but I'm just using Kendrick right now he's creating these rhymes and then on why people are, are singing along, uh, and it makes it harder for us to be able to say, okay, don't, you know, like, let's, mm-hmm. let's not use this word. It makes us feel like hypocrites, but the way you're saying it as well, <laughs> it's kind of like the other way, that he's just pretty much following a narrative that predates him. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's more so, it's like blackface created by white people. And so if if Kendrick or anybody, any other rapper wants that, once that stage of recognition, well, this is the suit that you have to wear. Hmm. Yeah, and, and you don't have to. You don't have you to. to. Yeah. You yeah. choose to, yeah. Um, but, and that, but like you said, there is that other side of it, because now that they sing along, but now they get to say, but I'm not saying it. Yeah. Your guy said it. I'm just, I'm a fan of your guy. I'm a fan of, but, but here's the question. Why are you a fan of this kind of hip-hop? Like, why are you a fan of the hip-hop? that makes us look crazy. Mm-hmm. And then there's something to think about there, like 
would you be a fan of, of the of the kind of hip hop that that had us looking more respectable, that had us looking more, you know, intelligent, that had us looking more dignified? But you're a fan of this. Wow. And I think whites have to ask themselves, why? Why am I a fan of this? Could just be a cool factor. Could just be, I'm just doing what y'all do. <laughs> or could just be, you know, this keeps y'all in your place. I like you guys here. Hmm. Wow. And that that be speaks to, you know, one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you in terms of the, the theme of the book. Um, and I don't know if it was an accidental thing, but it's, for, like what jumped out to me and what kept jumping out was the hypocrisy in you know in the way things are done and, and in the way people go about things you know you just mentioned the hypocrisy in what Pac did back in the 90s and you know trying to do something new but then going right back to the old ways and similar to uh, Kendrick trying to do one thing on to pimp a butterfly but then come right back with damn and do something the exact opposite and mm-hmm. You know, there's a an excerpt in the book where you say it, it's hard to escape the claim of hypocrisy when a group of African Americans can scream "Black Lives Matter" when a black person is killed by the by the police, and yet no outcry is heard when parents drive through a city with toddlers packed in a car, listening to today's hottest rapper mm. report on how niggas, you know, how many niggas he has been able to literally and figuratively reduce to nothing. Um, and I just think, yeah, the the hypocrisy there to, you know, stand on our heads when, you know, a police officer might commit a, an egregious act, which deserves to be punished. But if, yeah. you know, but, you know, because we were just talking about it before we called you about, I'm, you know, I can recall the the song that um, the game put together a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with all the yeah, rappers. Rick Ross, like, yeah, don't shoot. And it was like, yo, mm-hmm. y'all whole catalog. That's all y'all talk about is shooting, shooting yeah. other black people, and mm. but now you want to all get together like we are the world, right. you know, just that that hypocrisy. So, like, how how do you know how are African Americans su- supposed to approach? Because I mm. mean, if we were to cut off, hip, you know, hypocritical rappers, that pretty much would mm. you know cut out the majority <laughs> of the genre. Mm. Are we supposed to just go strictly to conscious rappers, Christian rappers? We'd be you? listening to purely beats. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, rappers rapping. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you picked up on that line because I, I wanted that to kind of stand out to the reader because what normally what people would do is they would contrast, you know, you say don't shoot, you say Black Lives Matter when someone is shot by a white cop. But you don't say that when, when black people are killing black people. But I didn't want to make that the comparison. Blacks killed by white cops versus blacks killed by blacks. I wanted the comparison to be, you know, Black Lives Matter when it happens with a, a cop and a black person. But the, 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 the contrast, rather, the contrast is look at what you're teaching your children to celebrate. Mm-hmm. You're celebrating music that paints these, these wild images of black life that is expendable. Before we even get to the whole black-on-black crime, that's a real issue, too. But that's too easy to me, hmm. which is why I think a lot of people are trying to try to sidestep that one. Let's make it a little more personal, because I ride through the city. Right. And I see, I mean, first of all, I, I see a ton of things that make me want to stop my car and go give a, a parent a spanking. I see kids, you know, 
four years old walking across the back seat while the car is in motion. First of all, I'm like, you really don't care about your kids. I can just tell. Your car is in motion and your kids are running across the back seat. Problem. But not only that, but you're blasting music that's teaching your kids that somebody out here in these streets, somebody out here deserves hmm. to be treated a certain way. And if your kid had to figure out what makes that person worthy of that treatment, the only consistent thing in all these songs is, oh, he's a nigga. It's a nigga. It's, or if it's not a nigga, it's his, his B. But mm. there's something about that that I want people to say, wait, do these lives really matter? Not because of the black-on-black crime issue, but just look at what we're accepting. And so what do we do? Do we have to cut out? I think, you know, I'm in these schools, man. So I teach at three places. I teach, I teach at a Bible college, I teach at the community college, and I teach at a, at a local high school. At the high school, I teach six classes a day, three days a week. So I'm there Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, teaching six classes a day. I see about 200 students. It's so bad. When I look at the impact of what fatherlessness has done, and I look at the impact of the music mm. that is taking the place of the father, mm -hmm. and, and you probably go, this could come to a whole debate here. It's so bad that sometimes I really, really question, I really, really question the idea of free speech. Mm. Wow. Mm. That's how bad it is. Like, if there's a fatherless community and this music is taking the place of the father, I feel like there's certain things that should never be allowed to be said. I don't care if that's just, I'm just expressing my thoughts. I got to write. No, you don't. Um, You're raising people. Wow. Yeah. What? So, what? What do you? Um. What? What do you think about like music? The music industry, music in general. Uh. This, like you mentioned, you question free speech. There are no <clears throat> music taking music taking taking place of fathers. Um. There are no real like. I mean, there are <laughs> there are a lot of I guess thirty five year old, forty year old rappers, but for the most part. Like a lot of rappers in their twenties, you know, mm -hmm. one is selected, then one is anointed, and then everybody wants to be like that person. Like, but they're not necessarily. They may have, they may have fame, they may have a record deal, they may have notoriety, but they don't necessarily have experience, and they don't necessarily have wisdom. And so, there, <clears throat> these words are going out. Like, for example, like Gucci Gang and Lil Peep and Lil Pump and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. A little Uzi Vert from North Philly, like you know, these are people who haven't even reached the age of thirty, and yet they're probably never going to be as famous as they are right now. And so, whether they do something good or whether they do something bad, like it's going to affect everybody so largely. Like, how do you? <clears throat> I guess what I'm trying to ask is, how do you? How, I I don't know. I, I'm wondering how do you combat that. How do you yeah. combat that? Because, you know, by the time they get older and realize the mistakes that they've done, it's almost like too late. Another generation's lost. Yeah. So the, the the interesting thing to your, to your point is you do have a few rappers who become old heads who now, I used to, I used to wish that certain rappers like Jay, Jay-Z, for, for instance, I used to teach in my classes like Jay-Z's got a, um, got a quote when he did his book, Decoded, he's looking at all his lyrics, 
And one of my favorite quotes from Jay-Z, he was on a, a, a magazine interview about his book. And he says, you know, for the book, he had to write his lyrics out and look at them. Because when he, when he writes, he writes in his head. He don't write it on paper. He writes in his head. But for the book, he had to write his lyrics out and look at them and analyze them. And he said this. He said, some lyrics are really profound when you see them in writing. But not Big Pimpin'. That's the exception. When I see those lyrics, I think, what kind of animal must I have been to have said that hmm. and keep saying it? So I always, you know, have my students look at that and look at the lyrics to Big Pimpin' and look at Jay-Z's albums after he got married and look at how much he mentioned women beforehand and how little he mentions women after he got married. He hardly ever mentions women in his music before 44. Uh, he hardly ever mentioned women in his music after he got married. He did have a line in one of his songs where he, he was able to say, and my hoe's so sick, your new B can't F with my old B. But, and I'm like, wait, you're married now. Who's who's your hoe that's so sick? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about Beyonce? Like, that's, that's crazy. But other than that, he hardly ever mentions women post-marriage. And I would say to my class, why is it that these rappers who had all these negative things to say about women and relationships, you know, he had a line in one of his old songs where he said, um, that's foolish making me chase you around for months. Have an affair. Act like an adult for months. Hmm. Like, that was his view of marriage when he was younger. Now he's married, and this was before Lemonade, before 444. I asked my class, how come these rappers who grow up, who end up, you know, living a different lifestyle, how come they don't come back in their raps and talk to you about the difference in their life and maybe even say some of that stuff, like you said in the interview? Now, what kind of animal must I have been that have talked like that and have kept saying, how come you don't put that in his raps now? And, you know, the students have all kind of ideas about why. And it basically boils down to that doesn't sell. Hmm. Uh, it wouldn't sell if he came back regretting that. And I said, yeah, but would, it, would it be healthy for us? Would it help us to, to think differently about, you know, relationships and, and this, that, and the third? Um, but fortunately, we've got to the point, since Beyonce put him on blast, now he is talking about some of this stuff. And he is making songs called I'm Sorry for all the women I hurt in my past and for this, that, and the third. Um, I just saw an interview with uh, young Jeezy. Um, not young, Jeezy now. He's old. <laughs> um, Jeezy talking to Joe Budden and uh, DJ Academics on this show. Jeezy's talking about how he's trying to go back and mentor people like Kodak Black. And um, he won't tell these guys they're wrong for trapping because Jeezy still appreciates that lifestyle but he's trying to pour in something um, positive in the culture. And, and you know, you got T.I. challenging Lil Wayne when Lil Wayne said, Black Lives Matter, it ain't got nothing to do with me. Hmm. And T.I. wrote an open letter to Lil Wayne telling him that that was crazy. Um, so you got a few. T.I. even did a whole album called Us or Else, where he's it's sort of a Black Lives Matter album, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but I think some of those guys, they get older, I don't know if they got court dates pending or what, because even Meek Mill, before his uh, before he got put in jail, even some of his music was starting to change where he was questioning. Uh, Meek has a line in one of his songs, Young Black America. He's talking to a young dude who's trapping. And at the end of the song, after putting out a bunch of warnings about that lifestyle, 
he even said something that's crazy in, in, in the middle of the song. Uh, he talked about these guys that, you know, he's talking to a young guy, and he says, yeah, they killed your, they killed your cousin or your friend, such and such and such, and they even got you thinking, like, man, you should have told. We're in the hood. The worst thing you can do is snitch. Mm. The worst thing you can do is talk to a cop. Meek says, man, they even got you thinking. You probably should have told. I'm like, yo, are you? You going back on the stuff that, that made you who you are? And at the end of the song, he says, they told you to hustle. The niggas don't love you. So he's challenging what the streets is telling people. And it just so happens that he gets put in jail right when his career was starting to shift. Now, I don't know if his career was really starting to shift or if he knew, i got to stand in front of a judge soon. I better have something positive to say. Um, so maybe, you know, it could have been that. I think T.I. has done that in the past. Mm -hmm. Got court cases coming up. Let me make positive music. Um, anyway, long answer to your question, but my, my response is there are a few people in the game who are old enough and now maybe wiser to add something positive. But then the other side of it is what I'm doing in my classes, you know, I teach a class called Hip Hop and Ethics, and it's challenging, it's uprooting, you know, uh, the values that, that kids are being raised with, and it's attempting to either till the ground or go all the way to plant the seed of a new uh, value system, a new set of morals. Um, my vision, my goal is once I get this curriculum tight enough, is to put this curriculum out and be training uh, others to go into the schools teaching uh, teaching what I'm teaching because I think the Christian, the Christian and the conscious rapper, but especially the Christian rapper, um, not even rapper, the, the Christian hip-hop person, you even got to be a rapper, but just the Christian hip-hop person or the person who's grown up on conscious you know, hip-hop, those people are the most qualified to, to take the curriculum that I'm working on and go into these schools and begin to, uh, to be that wall, that standard up against, you know, the flood of uh, what's happening to this generation. So mm. that's how I see combating this. Wow. Uh, that's what I've been doing for the last, uh, you know, seven, eight years, is trying to forge a new path. Mm. Uh, well, now, let's, you know, that, that you mentioned that. So to, to sort of shift into my next question, it, it's related to what you just said is, you know, one of the things that I had noticed sparingly just throughout, you know, listening to, to Christian rap and was Christian rappers dropping the N-word. I can think mm -hmm. of two cats in particular that I know who have actually used it on records. Um, is that... What what do you think of that? Because I I know you you know you said that you guys tossed it around you know behind closed doors and and you know that's that that's one thing. But for someone who would be a believer doing hip hop music to then drop it on on a record, mm -hmm. is that what what's your thoughts on that? So I I think so I did a, I did a song. I did a song for the book. You know, the book is called Navigating the N-Word. I put out a song called Navigating the N-Word, and the song is full of the word. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think as social commentary, it works. I think if you give your listener the impression that you're making a comment about society, I think it works. Um, but I think if you give your listener the impression that this is how you actually see people, you actually think that it's okay to label people this way, then I think that's problematic. Okay. Um, now, are 
there's going to be many people who are going to miss the nuance and they're not going to be able to tell whether or not you actually see people that way or whether you're making a, a commentary about society. Uh, and so, so for those who miss that nuance, who are not mentally, um, you know, adept enough to, to be able to, I mean, some people just don't, they don't pay attention. You know, they hear a buzzword and they, oh, he cursed, but they don't look at the context. Um, you know, you look at uh, Paul's warnings in Corinthians about the conscience of the weaker brother. You have to take that kind of stuff into account. If somebody's weak conscience is going to bother them because either they don't need to listen to your music or maybe you just need to take into account, um, I got some, some weaker brother. You know, it's interesting, though, the, the weaker usually assume that they're the stronger because they want to be, you know, they, they want to be pleasing to God and they, they want to remain holy and they don't want to sin and they don't want to... And here you are out there doing the thing that, ooh, you know, you you, you drank, or ooh, you went to an R-rated movie. You know, you, whatever it is that, that the weaker assumes that you shouldn't be doing, Scripture says, no, actually it's the, the person who's got the, the conscience that's bothered by things that really are not sin. That's the weaker brother. Um, but we have to be conscious of that. And I think if it seems like you're not attempting to look out for the weaker brother, then the stronger brother is an error. Um, you don't send out, you're not willing to bear with the brother or to explain, you know, why you use a certain word a certain way. Um, you just want to argue for your right to do it. That's not godly either. So I think, you know, it can be done, but you need to be wise, and there's a, a ton of um, biblical instruction that you would probably need to be paying attention to. Don't just do it just because you have your right. Don't let your, you know, Scripture says, don't let your liberty become a, a license uh, to sin. So, Man, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, because like I said, I've, I, it's not something that is, you know, all across, but you just kind of, I've heard it here and there, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just kind of, you know, your ears perk up. So, yeah. there's one other thing that you again, it's not. I can, I kind of just took got got the uh, got it from the book that it wasn't an intentional theme, but again, it looked like it was something that again was kind of touched upon, and I saw it recur. And I think it it's even related to you know because you you were in the D.C. area a couple uh, weeks ago, I guess about a month ago now, right? Doing the uh, having that lecture, and it was you know you you talked about how hip hop in the book now, not at the lecture, but how hip hop potentially suffered because there were no Christian rappers at the onset mm-hmm. and, and how the, the the church was very antagonistic towards hip hop culture. And so that that just got me thinking about how a lot because we've had, we've even talked about it on this podcast, you know, in the past that is that how the the church unfortunately we always get on the bus like at the end of things like we always <laughs> end up missing missing it when yeah. something happens and then we end up having to be reactionary after mm-hmm. the fact and yeah. you know you know and hip hop is just another one of those examples so you know because even the the lecture even though it was a dope lecture you know cuz what we what we talked about here at this podcast we mentioned how like we knew these issues was in the church years ago. Like we knew there was racial issues in the church, but nobody wanted to say anything until it kind of explodes in the world. And now here's the church backpedaling, having to try to be reactionary, 
oh, we got, uh, we knew about these evangelicals and uh, it it wasn't that bad, you know, but it's kind of like you could have done something, you know, before mm. now. So what are your thoughts on just how believers, unfortunately, always, you know, miss the mark and then have, you know, have to be reactionary after the fact? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm in a group text with some brothers right now, and part of the group text is, you know, the the current thing that's going on are uh, you have have African American church leaders and thinkers um, sort of advocating this divorce from white evangelicalism, right? And is this this huge critique of evangelicalism and not just the term, um, but some of the people who who it would apply to? Um, and so, I mean, just today I was I was keeping one of these these threads and somebody was talking about um like basically it's to the point now where um black christians are starting to level against white evangelicals that they're not even christian mm-hmm. like that's the that's the the logical conclusion that many are beginning to come to um white evangelicals are not Christian, and they have never been. Um, and I think I may have said this at the lecture um, in D.C. I think that's a, like, one, who are we to say who's a Christian and who's not? Um, in one sense, we can look at fruit and, and say, you know, this fruit is not consistent with. So we can do that. Um but in terms of saying, you know, these people don't have the gospel, they've never had the gospel, I think there's a problem that people are trying to pinpoint, but I think they're jumping to the wrong conclusion. I don't think it's that white evangelicals have never had the gospel. I don't think it's a problem with their soteriology. I think it's a problem with their anthropology. Because though I think they have had the gospel, the problem is that they have not seen Africans or people of African descent as fully human. And because you don't see these people as fully human, you don't do for them what you would do for your fellow human beings. So all this good gospel that you really do have, you don't apply it to them, or you don't apply the full implications of it to them. So it's not an issue of soteriology, it's an issue of anthropology. Um, I'll stop there because I think you have to let God sort out so then what does that mean for their salvation? Um, I don't think we go as far as to say, oh, so they weren't saved. Um, but nonetheless, I all that to answer, your, to answer your question, I think the idea of the church being late, it's really not, a, it's really not just the church being late. It's the church failing to be biblical, fully biblical. And so whether it was Christians, black Christians during the beginning of hip-hop, who would not grant hip hop the um, the full status of being a culture and its culture than deserving of a missionary effort? So now you you miss out on an opportunity to evangelize because you're, you, you're quick to call something demonic and won't treat it as a culture that deserves a missionary effort. Well, that's the same thing that whites did to Africans and uh, people in India and people in China. They saw things in the culture that they didn't like. And rather than looking at it as a culture that deserves a missionary effort, they just demonized it and told the people, you need to leave this altogether. You need to stop 
dressing this way and building it, building this way and singing these kind of songs. And so rather than deal with the spiritual issues at the root, but accept the culture, you just demonize everything. And that's unbiblical. Um, and so what happens is, you you know, the, the gospel being the gospel is going to take root, whether it be with people in India or Africa or China or hip-hop um, or slaves. The gospel is going to take root. And over time, those people end up applying the gospel in ways that the people who originally preached it didn't bother to. And so eventually the church catches up because the gospel penetrates, the seeds of it grow, and it bears fruit. And then eventually it looks like the church is catching up, but really it's not catching up. It's just finally being fully biblical. Mm-hmm. And if we would, and this is the thing that black Christians are failing to do right now, in their rush to demonize and strip white Christians of their, uh, their, their gospel affiliation, like now you're being just as unbiblical as people were to your ancestors. And so now you're going to make uh, the church being the, 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 the body and the bride of Christ, you're going to make the, the, the church's image take that much longer to be correct, because now you're not going to be biblical either. And so we have, we have to wait for the seeds of the gospel to really take root and to grow again. Um, I said a lot right there. I hope there wasn't confusion, but um, I see the issue. And to me, it's not just we're late. It's we're not biblical. We're not willing to take the time to, 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 yeah. to understand the nuance and be biblical and let the gospel take root and grow. <clears throat> yeah, I... Brady, you said something that was, uh, <clears throat> I thought, very interesting where you said, well, we were not seen or they didn't see this particular group as fully human. Uh, I think there's a there's a lot there uh, contextually. Contextually, we talk, <clears throat> you're referencing white missionaries. Uh, we know historically that um, <clears throat> that the gospel doesn't originate from white people, so they had to receive it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> But but you said they had never saw us as fully human, and I think about this idea of what AJ was saying about um, <clears throat> about people about coming in on the tail end or on the back end or being laggards and 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 all of that trying to be relevant. Um, but I I I do I do echo what it is you're saying, um, and maybe AJ was saying this too. Uh, about not dealing with the issue from the beginning. So, for example, um, queer theory. And um, what we know now, though, uh, bumper sticker-wise, is like LGBTQIA and whatever letters end up getting added on at the end. And how we have to deal, and I know you see it in the schools, um, because of the, the lack of the role model uh, of, um, of, of natural, healthy, uh, and spiritual, uh, a family unit and black fatherhood, we see, um, we see, we see people that, uh, certainly not everybody, but a large percentage of people who are, um, emotionally wounded, um, through distrust, through, through, um, sexual assault, um, sexual harassment, uh, through molestation, um, through the through the wanton uh, sexuality, sexual expression, uh, and sexual brokenness that have taken place over the uh, past few generations, and it just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates to the point where now we have this front line of uh, of children 
uh, that are not that do not know how to properly express themselves sexually. And so rather than dealing with the inner work of trying to uh, um, overcome those uh, those issues and those behaviors, we tend to we tend to we tend to be, be we tend to become more um, ensnared into an echo chamber that affirms uh, our behavior, and that echo chamber being puppeteered by a small segment of people who just want to be able to go out in public and sexually express themselves without fear of ridicule. So. Um, I, but if the church, if the church were to, you know, believers were to, um, be able to, uh, address those issues and not necessarily be the ones committing those sins, uh, <laughs> but to address those issues with our children from the beginning and to be able to do corrective measures and take active measures, uh, to, to make sure that they grow healthy and strong, then, um, you know, we would, we, we, we wouldn't even really be having to deal with this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. All right. Well, B, we, uh, is there, uh, in addition to your, your books and I know you said that black thought wants you to get back and making you want to get back in the studio. Um, what, what do you got coming in, in the near future for everybody? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's wild when I, when I heard their freestyle, uh, <laughs> Man, this dude—he sounds like uh, he sounds like somebody pressed pause on him 15 years ago and just hit unpause last week. Wow! Yeah. And he picked right back up where he left off. That's what he sounded like. Mm. And uh, I was so enamored by it, and I, I did a test with my students. I'm like, man, I wonder if they could appreciate this. And I was shocked. I was shocked that they were able to I mean, 10 minutes that they were able to appreciate it the whole time. And uh, I said, man, this makes me want to get back. But if I had to be honest, I, I got so much on my plate right now, man. I'm uh, so you know, I wrote a, a fictional series called City of Allegory, and I, I owe readers of that series, book three. I've done books one and two, and book three is is about ninety percent done, and it's been that way for two years. I haven't touched it, um, but I'm working on an audio version of book one and two right now, which is taking forever, and. Uh, this curriculum, I really want to get this curriculum for the classes that I'm teaching out. And um, realistically, I'm probably not going to touch a mic lyrically uh, for another year, realistically. Uh, if the Lord tarries and, and allows and grants grace, uh, I want to, but I, I probably can't for the next year. So uh, just be looking for the, the fictional series to, to continue to uh, come out in, in new ways and uh, this curriculum. Other than that, I'm um, I'm trying to be a little more silent on social media. It's very difficult. Um, <laughs> you like I, throwing out them post. hand grenades on Facebook, man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to post like once or twice a month, man. But uh, Black Thought messed me up, so I, I posted like three times in the last week about that alone. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanna I wanna have some real. I, I'm at a new church. In Philly now, uh, Risen Christ, where my man uh, Brian Davis is, is a pastor. Uh, the artist Shai Lin uh, was at one time a pastor, but now he's working on some some uh, some of his artistic stuff. So uh, he's not serving in that capacity right now. But 
trying to get back in uh, in real life and, and real relationships and uh, you know affect the world on a real grassroots, hands-on level for a while before I throw something else out for mass consumption. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, um, and Brady, I wanted to I wanted to um, express my appreciation for a song that you had put out a few years ago. Uh, and this song was it was just like a, a random I think it may have been a random one or video I don't I don't remember if it was part of an album or anything like that but it was a song where you were rapping about um, being in a relationship and then making the decision to let it go because it oh yeah it wasn't yeah. you know it wasn't it it, it it didn't it didn't fit what you knew uh, what you knew Elohim what you knew what the father uh, wanted from you. Uh, yeah. And it was, it, I I just wanted to say that, you know, I really appreciated that I, that that song and that video, and I had shared it because um, I felt like what you did was you articulated a perspective of sacrifice that you, you know, from being a um you know a not not so young man at this point, you know, older man that that you rarely 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 see or hear, but I know. Um, I know exists because I, 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 I practice that. I try to practice that. And I have, you know, I have friends that um, do try to practice that. But it's not something that's really popularized. So I just want to say thank you for, for giving voice to, to, yes. to that perspective. Amen. Yep, that was a song called Lovers Versus Fighters on yeah. uh, the album uh, The Art of Battle Rap. And that was okay. a, a relationship I was in and, you know, like you said, you know, not a, not a young man, you know, old head now. Um, got to the point where I was like, man, maybe I need to just lower my standards, and uh, and did, and got in this relationship and loved everything about it, except, you know, she didn't love the Lord, and mm-hmm. uh, definitely was a sacrifice to say, you know, this this can't be. Uh, I want to love that part of you too. Matter of fact, I want to love that part of you most, and if that's the part that's that's not rocking, then yeah, sacrifice. So yeah, appreciate that, man. Wow, that's dope. So, B, please tell the people where they can follow you, where they can get your stuff online. Yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, on the gram, uh, follow me, uh, fanatic of CM. And to this day, I don't know why, you know, 25 plus years in, I still got people spelling fanatic with an F. Fanatic is P H A N A T I K. Uh, so, fanatic. Uh, underscore of underscore cm uh, on Instagram on uh, on Twitter it's just fanatic p h a n a t i k Facebook Brady fanatic Goodwin and uh, I ain't doing no Snapchat I'm 41 years old so yeah I feel you man <laughs> find me where you find me <laughs> I feel you I, hey listen I feel you like like doing Instagram for me was a push. I was yeah. like, yo, I, that's it. That's the last one I'm gonna push on. <laughs> Brady, I want. I, I'd like to know your uh, your thoughts uh, real quick. I remember uh, the MySpace era. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness! Right, <laughs> and you know, this is when people we were becoming more and more uh, open with sharing more information. The mm-hmm. the about ourselves. It was like you know peeking into our lives. Blah blah blah. Whoop whoop whoop. Uh, and I remember, I remember, you know, uh, the 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 um, the sensitivity of the uh, <clears throat> Christian rap fans, and I remember, you know, there was controversy 
when you had uh, put on your MySpace page, you know how MySpace says, like, your likes. Influences. Your influences. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and you, put, <laughs> you put Nas, right? And it turned I think into. I put Buster Rhymes. You put Buster Rhymes? EPMD or Redman or something like that. <laughs> and it turned into this huge thing. It turned yeah. into this huge thing. And it was like, yeah. it was incredible for me to see that because i'm like wow these people really yeah. <laughs> like <Yeah. it. laughs> i mean they think you just came straight out of you know like on a blanket from, from yeah. right out the spiritual realm it, i mean it was just incredible and you know these are the same people that still listen to those artists but they couldn't make the connection mm-hmm. you know like that you're you're a person too and but but what's right. funny is here we are here we are now <laughs> 10 years later Mm-hmm. And people don't even want to be identified as a, you know, as, as a rapper for, you know, like, <laughs> just in general, you know, everybody is, and I'm not, I'm not indicting a rapper, I'm talking about the audience, you know, mm-hmm. so, I don't know, how, <clears throat> I just, I just guess I just wanted to throw that up as like a Beverly Lane kind of thing, I thought that was kind of Yeah, funny. yeah, I, I definitely, as soon as you started talking, that was the first thing that stood out to me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know how, how I dealt with it. Like you said, that was 10 years ago, but it did shock me uh, that people were that, uh, I would say obtuse, that uh, myopic in their, their worldview. Um, I, I tend to, I don't think I paid it too much attention because it just didn't warrant that much of a response. I'm like, man, if you're that, if you're in that much of a bubble, I can't do, much, do nothing with you. Like, the conversation for me ain't going to help at this point. Right. <laughs> Anyhow, I mean that's and 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 that was my space, so you can imagine how cats on uh you know oh, yeah. on Facebook oh, and the yeah. gram are. But where where can people find your stuff? Your your books? I know you you put the art of battle rap out. I guess probably about two years ago now. Has that been two years? Man, that was two thousand and fourteen, I believe. That's oh, three years. Three years. Wow. Yeah, so it's been that long. All right, so we don't want to push on, the album um, then. Let's just push the books. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 well, you <laughs> that's know what? A three year anniversary. Day, because I don't market my stuff like that, man. Like. People like, yo, you did another album? Like, yeah, it's out there. So uh, Bandcamp is Fanatic of CM. iTunes, stuff is on there. Um, books on Amazon. Five books so far on Amazon. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's out there. You know, Google it, brother. You, you'll find it. <laughs> and for everybody listening, I can tell you personally, I've read, I read Death of Hip Hop, Marriage and Morals. That was dope. Um, like I said, I'm just about finished with navigating the N word, and I did read the other one, um, Christians of Hollywood. Oh yeah, hip hop to Hollywood. Yeah, hip hop to Hollywood. Yeah, I, re- I I I read that one too, and, and that was pretty dope. So please, everybody. You end up on the fiction, man. You gotta get up on the fiction. That's City I got of Allegory is, is the best thing I've ever written. Book book two especially, but yeah, get up on the fiction, man. If you like those who are a fan of fanatic, if you like the the storytelling and the wordplay. You got to get up on uh, City of Allegory. Definitely, definitely. So you guys heard it here. Um, Brady, thank you, man. Thank you for making time for us, man, to um, chop it up, man. We really appreciate it. I think your your voice is definitely one that still needs to be heard. Um, you know, in particular, you know, for Christian rap, I think, you know, one of the areas in which Christian rap struggles is because there's no identified, you know, fathers in the in the culture. You know, it's like mm. in in normal hip hop, cats sort of give that nod. Like when Rakim comes out and cats like that, mm. KRS One, they sort of give that nod. Like yo, respect. But in Christian hip hop, 
it's, that's still not there yet. You know, and, and I think that was part of that problem. I'm not going to get into it, but like when that whole thing came out with Lecrae and the whole thing, I think part of it was there was no identified old heads that everybody sort of recognized mm. in the culture. It's kind of like, well, I don't vibe with them anyway, so I don't care what they say. But it's like, you know, we, we don't have that. So I think, you know, man, I think yours mm. is one, is, is a voice that, that still needs to be heard in the, in the community and, and in the culture, bro. So, you know, definitely. Yep. You got fans and you got family down here in D.C. We still rock with you. Amen. And, uh, Appreciate that, man. We uh, definitely you know, yep. want to su- support you. So people listening, please get out there and buy the books. This brother's not trying to be a 45-year-old rapper anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> get the books, support. And if you want to hear good material, people, then you got to support with your dollars. Yeah, um, yeah. So for Avery and Eve, this is AJ saying thank y'all for rocking with us. As you always know, we keep God in the mix. Until next time, peace. They say it's a term of endearment now. Say we don't mean it the way they meant it. Yeah. I hear what they saying. I ain't too proud to beg. And I beg to differ. Black folks die every day, they die in every way But some are dying as I was dying to say it As a kid I would play with my friends in my section We pull out the n-word and use it as a weapon Like nigga, we laugh like playing with a pistol We didn't think it was loaded till we heard that thing whistle Nigga, what you call me? Nigga, my nigga Saying it was like pulling a trigger Cause each time we said it, something in us died Cause if my nigga's a nigga, I figure so am I Blam, blam, blam What we playing, we don't really mean it It's only a saying That was till that day when dude was getting beat Every time they slammed his head on the concrete You know what they said right before they hit him Nigga that nigga get him, knock that nigga out, that's what that nigga get, it's like cause he's a nigga, killing him's legit, hey, that thing me and my friends joked with was loaded, now I don't know if I wanna hold it now, I'm a nigga, he a nigga, she a nigga, we a niggas, wouldn't you like to be a nigga too, cause you can own a nigga, beat a nigga, kill a nigga, steal a nigga's girl, cause that's what niggas do, when they tryna be like master, yeah, nigga, I'ma treat you like master, don't be mad if I treat you like master, Cause I just wanna be your master my, my nigga I was too young for Malcolm X And James Brown black and proud shouting it But I did grow up on Kane and P.E. An intelligent black man was the thing to be But N.W.A. was huge For the first time we could be niggas with an attitude That's when I learned the word had different meanings And leanings that weren't always the meaning I got it, it could be ironic What should've killed niggas only made us bionic So now they can call us what they want Cause if all we are is niggas Then how come we stuntin' in these new cribs Filming new vids, rocking new kicks Pushing new whips, pulling new chicks Who just had a few kids Daddy did like two bids Can't afford a third strike Waiting for a new bitch Okay, so maybe we ain't stuntin' I mean, some of us are, but a lot of niggas frontin' Cause so many seem like they bout to lose By now I thought we would be niggas with altitude But no, we flyin' too low They say we on the rise while we climbin' so slow Is it cause I'm a nigga, he a nigga, she a nigga, we a niggas Wouldn't you like to be a nigga too? Cause you can own a nigga, beat a nigga, kill a nigga, steal a nigga's girl Cause that's what niggas do when they tryna be like master, yeah
yeah, nigga, I'ma treat you like master Don't be mad if I treat you like master Yup, cause I just wanna be your master my, my nigga. A $90,000 car pulled off the lot The driver of the car was black Two blocks away, the same car was stopped by a cop Who asked, do you rob, play ball, or rap? The 30-year-old real estate agent shook his head and proved he was legit Then he pulled off and turned his system back up the blast His favorite song, niggas ain't now that's more twisted than a contortionist Working in an orphanage ran by Dr. Kevorkian Of course he can listen to whatever he wants That's his right to use or abuse it But when he passed the cop, all the cop heard was a blurb of Nigga, nigga, nigga In his music A $90,000 car pulled off the lot The driver of the car was white Two blocks away, a cop car pulled up beside the young white male driver at the light The cop motioned to the man Hey, turn your radio down, I got something to say Don't you just love those songs? The cop said That's all, have a nice day I'm a nigga, he a nigga, she a nigga, we a niggas Wouldn't you like to be a nigga too? Cause you can own a nigga, beat a nigga, kill a nigga, steal a nigga's girl Cause that's what niggas do when they tryna be like master yeah, nigga, I'ma treat you like master Don't be mad if I treat you like master Cause I just wanna be your master My nigga